If you would, please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning with me to Paul's letter to the Galatians. As we open up God's Word and turn to God's Word, let's go before Him in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, by the powerful working of Your Holy Spirit, help us to not only be informed, but also transformed by your word so that both individually as Christians and corporately as a church, we would increasingly reflect the image of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Here we are at week 15 in our series of the Gospel According to the Bible, an exposition of the letter to the Galatians. Uh, Remember... The Gospel according to Mark, who is Jesus? Now, here in one of Paul's letters, it is, what is the Gospel? And we've been understanding that the Gospel both establishes and matures us. It's it's not the ABCs only, and the D through Z is up to you. No, it's the A to Z of the Christian life. It's the lifetime message that both unbeliever needs to hear. Think Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, um, Uh, Peter preaching to those who had been involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. They needed the gospel. But as you see in Paul writing to the Galatian church, the church that he himself has helped establish, he's proclaiming the gospel to professing believers. Last week, we saw children of promise that are children by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember with Hagar and Sarah, there are two women, two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, two approaches to God, one which takes no faith at all. You just do what you've got to do. But the other approach takes enormous, enormous faith. You've got to trust God and not waver in unbelief. Paul makes it clear that we as children of promise, as children of the free woman, that we should expect both persecution and an inheritance. And that brings us to the end of chapter 4. Well, today we begin chapter 5, and with it comes a more concentrated practical application. Remember the basic outline of Galatians. The first two chapters, autobiography. Paul, it's his personal defense of his gospel ministry. And in chapters 3 and 4, it's theology. It's Paul's theological defense of the gospel message, in particular, justification by faith. Now here in chapters 5 and 6, it's ethics. Paul's going to practically apply the gospel message to the lives of his readers then and now. Did you notice the title of the sermon, Freedom and Faith? Faith and freedom, I've heard it. Around every 4th of July, every year, it seems that somewhere out there you you see a church, you know, it's Faith and Freedom Day. You know, some big church has a big rally. We're going to support faith and freedom. Well, to be sure, freedom is important in the United States of America. Think with me. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of, finish it, liberty. The Declaration of Independence, uh, we were remarking in Sunday school how many people have not read the Bible. 
Well, who has read the Declaration of Independence that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states? Patrick Henry, a speech that many of you have memorized or will memorize, give me liberty or give me death. I think it's New Hampshire, right, on their license plates, uh, live free or die. The American Civil War, historians have got a lot of good arguments to, to figure out what the causes of the American Civil War were, but it goes without saying that one cause was slavery. And one effect of the Civil War was emancipation of slaves, the ending of the institution of slavery in the United States. Let's think really close to home, right across the Ohio River, the Freedom Center on the banks of the Ohio River, the Freedom Center. However, this title, Freedom and Faith, I'm not going to be talking about some kind of civil religion whose colors are red, white, and blue, in which faith really means trust in yourselves and some kind of allegiance to my country, right or wrong. No, I'm talking about the freedom and faith found in Galatians. Because thus far, we've seen faith to be the major theme of Galatians. Justification by faith alone. In chapter 2, what is it? Verse um, uh, 15, he says it three times. 15 and 16, three times. Justification by faith. Now we will see the theme of freedom. Remember, Paul is responding to a crisis. He's writing this letter because a crisis has been brought about by false teaching. And remember the false teachers known elsewhere as the Judaizers. They are not teaching that faith in Jesus is not necessary. No, they are teaching that faith in Christ is not enough. Not enough. Paul recognized that it was this not enough that was a threat to the gospel, a clear and present danger to the church. So how does Paul begin his practical application of the gospel message that he has been proclaiming and defending? He begins by talking about freedom. This is what justification by faith leads to. It leads to freedom. Thus, he will reintroduce the idea that he first mentioned in chapter 2. Look back with me to chapter 2, verse 4. He says this, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Preserved for us. Join with me now as I read verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again that every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. 
You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Let's look at verse 1, standing firm in freedom. This first verse provides us with a great example of the logic or the grammar of the gospel. Here's the assertion, you are free, followed by the command, stand firm, do not submit to slavery. Kids, don't ever feel that learning English grammar is a bad thing. It is a great thing. Why? Because now you can understand that the statement is the indicative. And it proceeds and provides the basis for the imperative, the command. The indicative comes first and then leads to the imperative. The statement is followed by the command. And notice how strong and emphatic it is. Freedom has set you free. There's both a noun and a verb. Freedom is both the means set free and the end for freedom of the Christian life. Notice what Paul does not say. A great way as you study the Bible is to ask yourselves, what is it not saying? Okay, It's hard enough sometimes to understand what it's saying. One of the ways to help understand is to ask, well, what is it not saying? Paul, notice, does not say, do this, and this will be the case. Rather, he says, because this is the case, do this. It's important. Because Galatians are people who have discovered that Christianity is not at root what they have to do for God, but rather at its basic core heart, it is what God has done for His people in Christ. This first verse, in other words, is be who you are. Christ has freed you, so be free. Remember, he's just told the people they are children of promise. They are children not of the slave woman, but the free woman. And because they are free, there are two implications. Stand firm and not submit again. Paul is addressing here what he will address in Romans as well. When he's speaking of both the Jew and the Gentile are sinful. He's saying that Galatian pagan idolatry and biblically ethical moralism are basically the same thing. Spiritual slavery. Now a few words about freedom. The emphasis here in Galatians, as we have seen and as we will see, is not so much on the will set free from the bondage of sin as it is our conscience set free from the guilt of sin. Because Paul is clear, the law condemns and it should condemn. But here Paul is going to be talking about a freedom of conscience, a freedom from the tyranny of the law, the dreadful struggle to keep the law with a view of somehow winning or maintaining favor with God. Romans, which was most likely written a few years later, is a commentary of sorts on Galatians. Um, 
Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You often hear it as an assurance of pardon. Paul writes in Romans 8, beginning at verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has what? Set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's a commentary on Galatians. He's talking about freedom. But Paul is also echoing and driving home the words of Jesus. Remember our New Testament reading? In a conversation with Jews about Abraham, Jesus says this, You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. One of the missions of Jesus was liberation. At the beginning of His public ministry, His first public worship service, His first sermon in the synagogue in Nazareth, as I mentioned earlier, He opened the scroll to Isaiah 61, our Old Testament reading. The Lord has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Paul here is continuing with a theme of freedom versus slavery. Notice how he begins this practical application. Freedom. Freedom. One commentator in looking at this letter says this, Our former state is portrayed as slavery. Jesus Christ as a liberator. Conversion as an act of emancipation. And the Christian life as a life of freedom. Now Paul will begin to unpack this contrast between freedom and slavery. By showing the contrast as it were between what could be considered two religions. He will do this from the standpoint of those who practice and those who preach. Either a false religion or a true religion. In today's passage he'll be focusing on those who practice. And next week we will see that he has shifted his focus To those who preach. So let's look at verses 2 through 5, distinguishing the false from the true. Look again at how verse 2 begins Look, I, Paul, say to you. This is the underline, this is the italics, this is the bold, this is the highlighter. Paul could have begun by saying, If you accept circumcision, no. He says, look, let me get your attention. I, and if you don't know who I am, I'm Paul. I say to you. Why didn't he do that? Why did he draw emphasis? Because remember, Paul has gone already from astonishment to perplexity. And remember, Paul loves the Galatians. Remember we talked about ministry a couple of weeks ago? It's transparent. It's personal. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul speaks of himself being like a mother, like a father. Here is Paul loving those in Galatia so much, he's willing to tell them the truth. He loves them. It's a sober assessment. 
I encourage you to read the article that was attached to this week's email. Fear and loathing in Las Vegas. The importance of theology. The importance of doctrine for us. So he says this. If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Well, what's the big deal about circumcision? Acts chapter 15 will spell it out more clearly. But there was that, that, that circumcision being a theological symbol. There's doctrinal implications. It represents, and Paul is beginning to use it, representing salvation by works and obedience to the law. Circumcision here is minor surgery, but it's a major issue. Why? Because justification by faith is at stake. Look with me at the thoughts. Verses 2 through 4. Circumcision versus Christ. No advantage. No advantage. Christ, faith in Christ is necessary, the false teachers say, but it's not enough. You need to add to it. And by the way, circumcision, Paul is again representing kind of this whole idea of the law. And in verse 3, there's still circumcision versus Christ. You're obligated to keep. If you, if you allow yourself to get circumcised because you think it makes you more acceptable to God, then you're going to have to keep it all. And James rightly says in his letter that if you sin once, you've sinned in every area. One. You've got to keep it perfectly. And then in chapter or verse 4, circumcision versus Christ. Listen to this language. Severed from Christ, trying to be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Aha. Those folks will say, aha, you can fall from grace. No. It is not a comment about eternal security, but rather it's about false teaching, destroying the true teaching of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Paul is worked up because people are renouncing grace because they are no longer relying on grace and something else. Here in verse 4, Paul is laying down what I think is a general principle. Those who are trusting in their own efforts for salvation are lost. Period. And that goes for everyone, Jew and Gentile, growing up in a pagan home, growing up in a religious home. You trust in yourself, you trust in your efforts, Paul would say you're lost and you're without hope as he would say to the Ephesian church. Our shorter catechism question 86 asked this, what is faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. Next week, we're going to receive new members into this church. And one of their membership vows is this. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? You know, John Newton who wrote that marvelous hymn, 172, Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder. He also wrote this other tune, Amazing Grace. Anybody ever heard of it? Well, remember verse 3. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far. Finish it up with me. And grace will lead me home. Paul is dealing with people that are looking for something else to lead them home. 
and his heart is all in to proclaim Christ and him crucified, as we will see. But verse 5 is the true. Notice, he's been saying, you, you, you. He says it five times, you. But here in verse 5, he begins, look, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves. Kids, pronouns are hugely important to understand Scripture. You want to be part of the we. Not the you that's lost, but the we that's in here. We wait. We don't work for the hope of righteousness. We, don't, we, don't, we wait for glorification. We don't work for it as if it all depended on us. Yes, we have responsibility. Yes, we are to work out what God has worked in. But oh my goodness, we are safe and secure in the Savior's arms. We do not work for our future salvation. We wait for it. And how do we wait? Look at verse 5. It's there. Through the Spirit, by faith. Through the Spirit, by faith. We live today in view of our future inheritance. Remember, we are heirs of the promise. Through the Spirit, by faith. It's a great theme emerging from Galatians. So Paul distinguishes between two religions by looking at the practices involved. Working, as it were, versus waiting. Now he will return to this contrast of Christ versus circumcision by making, if I can say this, a breathtaking statement. Look with me at verse 6. I looked up some synonyms for breathtaking. Spectacular. Incredible, amazing, stunning. Notice kids especially in verse 6, but you older kids as well. The words anything and only. Anything and only. Usually dangerous sometimes. Like, mom and dad, you don't let me do anything. Oh, really? Or, I'm only allowed. Oh, really? Well, Paul is talking about anything and only, and he's deliberately choosing those words. What counts? What counts in Christ Jesus? Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. In other words, neither religion, moral exertion, nor irreligion, moral failure, count toward establishing a relationship with God. Good performance doesn't make someone right with God, and bad performance doesn't, doesn't cut someone, as it were, off from God. It's a radical principle. Paul is wanting his readers, the church then and us now, to see that, 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 that what the only thing that counts is faith working through love. He wants us to see that because it leads to tremendous peace and balance. Um, some of us know people, know ourselves. They swing from one extreme to the other, right? They're up one day and they're down the other. Well, to be sure, we're going to have ups and downs in life, but grounded by the truth of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, secure in Christ, the ups and downs, yeah, they may come and go, but they're dampened. The wild swings aren't as prominent as they used to be. Well, if this act of circumcision doesn't count, what counts? Notice, it counts in Christ Jesus. 
The answer to the question, what counts in Christ Jesus? Only faith working through love. I don't have time to go through it now, but all of us are familiar with uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one will burst. Uh, excuse me, no one will boast. And they'll burst doing it, yes. What does he go on to say? For we are God's workmanship, right? Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, yes. Faith working through love. And if you want to, turn to James chapter 2. Look at verses 14 through 17 on, on um, faith and works and the relationship. James and, and Paul are saying the same thing. They're just starting from different perspectives because they're addressing different things. But the bottom line is faith works. Paul is drawing emphasis. It works through love. James will say the same thing. Faith manifests itself. It makes itself known through love. Loving God and loving neighbor. And we'll see that more and more in Galatians. And as I was preparing, I was thinking back to our studies on the Ten Commandments. Loving God, loving neighbor. Loving God, loving neighbor. Faith works through love. Faith works in expressing love to God and love to neighbor. But we know that faith alone that justifies is never alone. True faith is a working faith. It's an expressive faith. Most of us have been to weddings where 1 Corinthians 13 is read. Appropriate for weddings, but appropriate for much more than weddings. And everybody remembers 1 Corinthians 13, 13. What remains? Now faith, hope, and love remain. Look what Paul has been doing in Galatians, in our passage. Faith. Hope, love. It's the, tr the trinity. Faith, hope, and love. It's here again in Galatians. Well, we need to say a few things and wrap up. Here's the move from theological exposition to theological application. Putting theology, as it were, to work. And where does Paul start? Jesus had, a start, had to start somewhere in the synagogue. Isaiah 61, to proclaim liberty. Where does Paul start? Freedom. What's his first point? Freedom. And his first point is this. Don't lose gospel freedom by slipping back into legalism and works righteousness. This week and next week, he's going to drive into us. Don't lose gospel freedom. And then after that, in verses 13 through 18, it will be, don't abuse gospel freedom. Because it's not a freedom to sin. It's not a freedom to do whatever you want, as we will see. Self-justification or a works-based justification, always a temptation. It's a gravitational pull. I appreciate, Aaron, you honestly saying, I tend to drift. I think all of us, if we're honest, say, you know what? There is a gravitational pull away from the word and to the world. I was at a conference years ago when my spiritual mentor who knew grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. But he said to those of us at that conference, he said, men, you glide like a rock. 
I wish Paxton were here. I didn't know Paxton flew gliders. You glide like a rock. Another speaker went on to say, it's power on all the way home. Back to the Freedom Center. Anybody know the actual name of it? The National Underground Railroad Freedom Center. Cincinnati, you see, was a major route for slaves escaping to freedom. You ought to go down to downtown Covington, Mainstrasse, and see the plaques and the historical markers about people swimming across the Ohio River for freedom. What Paul has been talking about here is similar to the situation. If you can imagine it, when a slave who had been in bondage in the South ever, after having crossed the river, the river from Kentucky into Ohio is now free, but, um, but crazy wants to turn around and swim back across the river and submit once again to slavery. Are you kidding? Because my friends, there's always a temptation to move away from justification by faith. You know why legalism is so attractive? We said it a few weeks ago. Why? Because you are in the driver's seat. Why is legalism and justification by self so attractive? Because you are in control. My friends, if God is in control and he's driving, wouldn't it be amazing to be a delight? Uh, wouldn't it be a delight to be a passenger with him driving? We need to be reminded. We need to hear and believe the gospel and put it into practice over and over again. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves and to one another. Decision time. Have you noticed Paul is putting the, the Galatians in a position where they need to make a decision? Today, we live in an age of indecision, tolerance, the best of both worlds. We hate to be forced to choose. I mean, there's apps on smartphones that allow you to arrange a date and if another date comes in that's better, you, you, you cancel the first and you go with the second. We hate, you know, it's, it's yes, no, maybe. I think John was telling me one day he was organizing something and he told folks, you know, you know respond by saying yes, no, or maybe. Guess what was the most? Maybe. Paul is not asking for maybe. It's not a choice. It's not an option. We must choose between Christ and circumcision. We must choose between divine achievement or human achievement. Between faith in Christ is all that is necessary or faith in Christ is not enough. In other words, Christ and circumcision here as Paul is using it are mutually exclusive. Behind and beneath that choice is a motive. We either want to flatter ourselves and others, circumcision, look what I've done, look what I'm doing, or we're going to humble ourselves. It's Christ alone, as we sing often, that our hope is found. Flatter ourselves or humble ourselves. My friends, this brings us to the end. To the message of grace and peace. Our message is not the same as the old Home Depot slogan. You can do it. We can help. I mean, that's the Judaizers. You can do it. We can help. By the way, this is what you need to do. Rather, our message is first 
and always must be, you cannot do it, but Christ has done it for you in your place and on your behalf. To be sure, this is not a flattering message, nor is it a popular message. However, it is the truth, and the truth, the person who is the truth, will set you free. And I love the story that you all shared about this woman coming to know the freedom she is having in Christ. And it will lead to a more godly, God-honoring life where sin is hated and righteousness is pursued because there's freedom. There's now no longer any condemnation. My friends, if you are resting and relying upon Christ alone for salvation, for a right standing with God, then you have been set free. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free, not for bondage. Therefore, Paul is saying, stand firm in the freedom of the gospel. And they say in America, of course, that our freedom is not free. Well, Paul is saying in Galatians, God is declaring in His Word that our freedom indeed was not free. It was purchased at the expense of the life and death of Jesus Christ. My friends, as the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one reminds us, because we belong to Jesus Christ by His Holy Spirit, we are assured of eternal life and we are made wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. To live for Him in the freedom that He alone can give. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we do pray that this gravitational pull that continues to exert an influence in our lives, that pulls us away from trusting in Christ and pulls us toward trusting in ourselves, our achievements, our accomplishments. I pray, Father, that the gospel would become all the more beautiful and believable and that we would see more clearly that it is the power of salvation, past, present, and future, the power of salvation for all who believe. Oh, Lord, we echo the prayer, we believe, help our unbelief. Oh, Father, be pleased to help us stand firm and not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And help us rejoice that if the Son has, sets us free, has set us free, we are free indeed, for we pray in His name. Amen. Amen.